Sometimes death is a simple thing. A slip of the foot, a shift in the wind, a fall. Agios had faced death often in his 33 years. He had been an adventurer, a hunter, and to tell the truth, something of a rogue. He had always expected to die by violence. His blood spilled and his body racked with agony. After he married the gentle foreigner named Wailea, though, he had begun to consider his ways of life and death. For her sake, he had hoped that when his time come, he would die well, as a man, not crying like a child or pleading for mercy. For years now, the boy had been begging to go with his father to the savagely dangerous land of bare sun-struck stone and rocky crags where they now stood. A muscular, broad-shouldered man with flowing midnight black hair and a long black beard, and beside him, a thin-limbed lad of only ten. The previous winter, Wailea had died in a premature childbirth along with Philos's stillborn younger brother. The loss of his mother had left the boy pale and unsmiling, and left Agios feeling that his heart had turned to lead. And so, Philos's coming with him on this trip was not a gift, but a necessity, for Agios had no one to watch over the boy. It had hurt, though, that the first faint smile that Agios had seen on his son's face in months had flickered there for a moment when Agios had said, Let's go gather the frankincense. Now they stood at the top of the cliffs where the trees grew, looking down at the sheer rock face. Agios had already taken the resin from the first small grove of trees they had come to, and now they had reached the true orchard of wealth. And you must pay close attention, Agios told Philos. The boy nodded solemnly. You must take care. The resin is more valuable than gold because it is so hard to find and collect. We will sell it to traders on their way to Egypt and Greece and Rome, even India, faraway places where people covet it. What we collect in one day will let us, my son, live for a whole year. Philos nodded impatiently. I know, father. You've seen the dangers when you've watched me gather the resin. Remember how careful I've been and do the same things. You understand? Yes, father. Philos looked eager for the perilous work, and Agios well understood the intoxication of it. The resin offered rich reward at high risk. Of course, his son was captivated. Of course, he had counted the days until he could follow in his father's steps. Libanos trees, hunched and gnarled, clung to the cliff like weary climbers. At the pitch of noon, no wind stirred their branches. Many months earlier, Agios had climbed down to make careful incisions in the flaking bark so the golden tears would flow and dry. And anyone else who discovered this remote ravine with its precious trees might try to investigate, but they would soon hear the hiss of the snakes twining among its branches or feel the fatal sting of their fangs. Agios had deliberately established this colony of adders, now guards of his precious grove. Knowing the serpents were there made all the difference. Together, father and son threw rocks at the snakes, forcing them to lower branches, to trees further from the edge where Agios had marked Philos's first tree. Because of Wailea's death, Agios had waited longer than usual to harvest, 
and the resin was nearly dry in the slash marks, golden and fragrant. That made the frankincense even more valuable. Agios knelt beside his son and looped a coil of rope around the boy's waist. Listen, when you gather the flakes, remember they're worth more than everything we own. It's a great responsibility. Yes, father. Be careful. Yes, father. Agios tossed a few more rocks to make sure the snakes had retreated, then tugged the rope to test it and put his big hand on his son's neck. He bent the scruffy head and inhaled the warm, woody scent of Phylos's hair. Before they had set out, Agios had scattered the dust of his last harvest of frankincense, the residue from the bags, over the coals in their cabins. And Phylos carried the lingering aroma of it, like pine and lemon and earth. To Agios, frankincense smelled exactly like his son. But Phylos drew back grinning, his excitement palpable. He edged toward the drop, his eagerness saying that this was not the time for affection, but for action. Agios looped the free end of the rope around his own waist and took it in slack. Phylos had grown up in the high mountains, and he didn't falter when he lowered himself over the rocky edge, rope tight, knees bent, feet braced on stone. A misstep sent a shower of stones and gravel tumbling down the escarpment, but Phylos adjusted himself and made it safely to the tree. Agios found his son's weight absurdly easy to bear, but just in case, he had doubled the rope around his own waist. Phylos's life depended on it not slipping. He leaned back, watched his boy find and peel off the bubbled resin, the small sun-brown hands tucking each lump carefully away in the leather pouch at his waist before moving on to the next. Pride tightened Agios's throat. Pride and the sort of love that reminded him that everything else he loved in life, his wife, Phylos's brother, now lived only in the boy. Agios knew Phylos was taking too long, but this was his first time. He didn't urge the boy to hurry, because haste meant mistakes. He saw him brace his feet and lean into the gnarled branches, reaching deep into the heart of them. Then, Philos screamed and jerked. His arm flung wide. A snake clung to it for half a heartbeat, then fell loose, tumbling, writhing. Philos's agonized face arched back, and he shouted, Though it had happened in less than a second, Agios was already hauling on the rope, his hands strong and sure, while his heart beat wildly in his chest. The boy flailed in agony, blood from the bite splattering his arm and his face as it spasmed. His twisting caught the rope between the body and the rugged cliff. Agios, frantic to recover him, didn't realize that the knot was abrading until the rope snapped, with Phylos not yet at the top of the cliff. Agios screamed as he watched his son fall, his dark eyes locked on the child that was everything good, that held all the hope that he had left in the world. And he could do nothing. Phylos felt straight down to the lowest tree, smashed into it with the impact that surely ended his agony and fear. His body hung caught there, broken and lifeless. After his first wail of pain, he had not cried out again. He died like a man. It took Agios a day and part of the night to retrieve Phylos's shattered body and take him back home through a sudden rainstorm. In their cabin, Agios rested before leaving for the warmth of the cool night. The wind 
soft on the heels of the rain that had preceded it, filled the air with a scent so warm and so rich, so full and verdant, that it seemed an affront, whispering slyly of living things, of flowers, fresh leaves and green. He held his breath. From a lean-to shed behind the cabin, Agios took a homemade spade and pick and carried them to the top of a low rise not far away. All around the plateau that night lay soot dark, but Agios had a hunter's vision, and the stars sufficed for the work he had to do. A cairn of pale, smooth stones marked the grave of Phylos's mother and stillborn younger brother. Near it, Agios had begun to dig a second grave. Difficult at first because of his weariness and because he didn't want to do this for his son. His body was trying to refuse the errand, but Agios had no choice. The rain had only slightly softened the soil and had not penetrated very far. Agios swung the pick, chipped in the solid earth, moved to the side and did it again gradually chopping the hard ground into solid chunks, and with that effort, he could pry loose and stack on one side of the grave. His shoulder muscles clenched and tightened, and Agios began to sweat from the exertion. The rhythm of the pick and the burn of his arms was a relief and the pain he could lean into. Here, in the shallow bowl of a mountainside glen, the soil had accumulated over centuries. Some washed down on the slopes in the lower forests into the fertile river valleys, but much of it remained here. It lay rich and dark, and in the spring and summer it yielded fruits and vegetables to supplement the meat that he brought home. Agios was part hunter, part trapper, part farmer, part collector, and all things he did well. But now, now, What was he? He pushed himself, not pausing to rest. He didn't realize that he had fallen until the rocks began to dig into his knees. He welcomed the pain, something sharp and insistent that drew a little of the agony from his chest. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't see. He blinked against the dark night with the tears that clouded his vision. The mountain cabin was solitary. But Agios was past caring if anyone could hear his sobs, the racking cry of an animal dying, of a shattered man. He wanted to die. He felt dead already. By the time the sun rose, Agios was an empty husk. Some blood seeped into the ground beneath his legs and mixed with the dirt on his hands. But he didn't know if it was his blood or Philo's. The climb down the ravine and back up again with his broken son slung against his back had been a nightmare that no man should endure. Agios could still feel the slight weight between his shoulders, though Phylos now lay wrapped beneath an olive tree less than two strides away. Agios glanced at Phylos' body and wished to see the slight rise and fall of his son's slender chest but there was no undoing what had been done. The boy lay as still as stone and just as cold. Morning burnished the marble skin of Phylos' arm where it had fallen out from the folds of the cloak that Agios had wrapped him in. 
It was an outrage, a cruel joke that sunlight could make even this small portion of the child look so beautiful and so whole. Agio scrambled over and tucked the slender arm back into the cloak before, with tenderness that belied the taut muscles of his forearm and the stern slant of his dark brows, he lifted the body. He did not look like a compassionate man, but he stepped into the grave himself that he had dug and placed his son into the center as gently as a mother laying down her newborn to sleep. My son. His mouth formed the words, but Agios made no sound, even though he tried again and again, his throat clenched with grief. Still moving his lips, still groaning with the weight of all the yearning he couldn't voice. Agios touched the place where Philos's face was shrouded by the dusty cloak. It was the kind of blessing he offered in place of the words he could not say, a way to remember the feel of the boy's high cheekbones, the proud nose that he had shared with Agios, and the fine mouth that was his mother's. It was a father's last goodbye. The grave was small, but Agios bent his knees and back and lay beside Phylos, his cheek in the grainy dirt and his hand resting on the body of his son. He wished he could have dug the grave larger, so large that he could creep in with his boy and pull the earth in after him. He imagined the dirt filling his nostrils, choking off the air, bringing death, bringing peace. But how could he share the grave when he had allowed his own son to die? No, he would leave his bones elsewhere. When Hagios took up the spade and began to shovel the loose earth into the hole, his grief was already finding a new incarnation. He burned with sorrow, but the flames began to ignite a fury in his belly, an anger that grew with each spadeful of dirt. He filled it in the grave and lunged stones from the bed of a nearby stream with a strength that seemed inhuman after his loss and his sleepless night. He finished before the sun stood noon. Agios looked at the fresh grave, the old grave, and the home that was no longer a home. And then he dragged his steps back into the cabin. The red embers of a fire still glared at the grate, and Agios blew them to life. He threw wood on, all the firewood in the bin. And then when that was gone, the stools that he had sat on, the short crooked table that he had made before becoming used to carpentry, the olive wood bowl his own hands had carved. What did he need to have these things now? Of the small bed that he had shared with his wife, the pallet where his son had laid his head. When the fire roared, he raked the burning coals out and scattered them across the floor. No vagabond would find an empty house and live here, where the memories of Wylea and Phylos and the nameless little baby deserved peace. Agios didn't leave it, until it was a blaze that could be seen for miles, a funeral pyre. The smoke choked the sun-bright sky, belching dark shadow across the mountain that spoke of evil things. He left on foot, with nothing in his hands. He didn't look back. <laughs> <laughs>